singing about this week the reality of the fact that like many people, many children don't grow up in stable environments. They um, grow up in very difficult homes. Many homes do not have like a father and a mother who love them, want them to succeed and do well in life. It's very common today for homes not to be What's wrong? It's on. That's all right. I'll just use this. Is this okay? All right. Um, But it is very common, I think, for homes to not be um, what they ought to be. And it's even more rare when you even hear people like a, a, a family where there is a father and mother, but a family where the people are committed to the Lord, like a Christian family. That's very rare in our society. And even... Maybe you would say even more rare where the family really understands God's design. Whether it be a husband that leads and a wife who who submits to the husband's leadership and children who are taught to obey their parents. And maybe even more rare if you're talking about a real stable family, a family that understands those structures but then recognizes that we as people struggle in those. And so in our struggle and in our battle they are like leading their children to understand the gospel. So they're running them to the gospel saying, we're all like failing in this desire to be what God wants us to be. And so Christ becomes bigger in that home and the cross becomes central. And I think the stability of the home is very much something that we need to recognize that that's a struggle. And even in a spiritual family, in the church, there's instability, and we struggle with that. And you think about our broader culture and everything around us, and you say, man, there's a lot of chaos in this world. We live in a fallen world, and in this chaotic world, we say, how do you understand or how do you live in a stable way? How does a church find stability in the chaos around them? Uh, one author, when kind of addressing that issue, he, he kind of asked the question, what are the winds or the, the, the things that bring, like when we think of the sea often in the, in the Bible, it, it is this picture of chaos and the winds are stirring it up. What are the winds that kind of affect a church and, and keep them from maybe being as stable as they could be? He mentions three, and we really have seen those in Second Thessalonians. Um, but the, he said there's a threefold attack that the enemy of God, the devil, seeks to do against the church. There's the physical, that's the persecution that comes. There's the intellectual, that would be the false teaching that would kind of creeps into churches. And then lastly, there's the moral, and that's the temptation to sin. And so I think we have to say, yeah, we see chaos and we don't see like stability. And yet we want that. We want the church to be stable. And we say, okay, if we want the church to be stable, we have to say, what are the things that come after the church to try to destroy? And those three areas seem to be the things that that are going to come against us. Now, last week we said there's going to be a final rebellion that there would be this Antichrist figure that would come on the scenes and he would lead this final revolt and rebellion against God. And and what would happen within that would be there would be these these winds of adversity. There's going to be persecution on the church. There's going to be false teaching running rampant in the church. There's going to be a lawlessness around centering around that where they're rebelling against the law of God. And all of those things are going to take place. So the question is, in the midst of the present struggles and the prospect of even greater instability in the church, what are we to do? And I think that's kind of what this will address this morning. 
we have to remember that God as our Father chose us and brought us into the family. That's something you'll see in this text. Jesus, our brother, loves us. And the Spirit transforms us and gives us the ability to trust and obey. Not only have we been chosen in eternity past, but in the present, God has called us through the gospel to transform us, to make us new. And so I think as a church, we have to say, how can we be stable? I mean, there's a lot of things going on out there. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of trials. How can we be a stable church? And we are, what we do is we hold on to the truth that God tells us, what he says to us. And then we pray that those truths would be real in our lives, that we'd be comforted by those truths. We also ask God, give us the the, the resolve to go out into the world and share those and to live in a way that would be obedient to you. So I hope you kind of see that today. We are in the midst of an unstable world. The church faces all kinds of pressures. And we as a people of God have to see what keeps us faithful and stable and in a right place in the midst of all of that going on. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul has confidence about this, by the way, that the church will be stable. There will be stability. He says in verse 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul reveals here, there's this thanksgiving. He always, he thanks God a lot. And I mean, that's something we have to do. We have to ask the question like, is are our hearts filled with thanksgiving? What, what, you might even ask, like, what would we need to be thankful for? Oftentimes, if you sit down with people and like, hey, what are you thankful for? And they'll be like, the health of my family. I have a job. We did this. We went on vacation this year. Wasn't it nice? We, I mean, I'm so thankful for every one of those things. Creature comforts are big at our house. You know, something like that. And you're like, mm, is that the only thing you can think of to be thankful for? It, it, really, when Paul's thanking God, oftentimes he's thanking God for his work in the life of the church. Paul reveals this, this attitude of thanksgiving over and over to us. I think we, we need to learn to do that. That We need to see, see I think carnal eyes, when we look with a, a worldly perspective, oftentimes we say, I'm not very thankful. When I'm like disgusted with my life, or with how things are going, usually it is tied not to spiritual things. You ever notice that? They're not spiritual things that frustrate me. They're that my earthly life is shaken up a bit, kind of. And so I think it's important that we note this when we're looking at this. He's speaking of these things that he is thankful for in their life. And I would just say one of the things recently I've had to stop and say, thank you, Lord. It's like when we, like the missionaries came a couple weeks ago, you guys gave and I blessed them in so many ways. It's a blessing to us. And when you see people actively serving the Lord and giving sacrificially, that's something to be thankful for. It's something I rejoice in, something we should say, God, we're so grateful for what you're doing in our midst. Now, we're going to see here, Paul's going to address kind of two things here that he thanks God for in their life. And in these two statements, they're kind of a comprehensive picture of God's saving purposes. 
he unpacks that for us. So here you just kind of want to see these. But first we see that God the Son um, loved them. And we see what God did for them. He is thankful to God, not them. They are His beloved. Jesus loves His bride. He loved His bride so much that He died for her. He gave His life for her. And so we see that. Now, it's, um, I think about sometimes in our church, you think, like, I may have varying degrees of love for people in this room. You say, some days I love these people more, sometimes I love them less, whatever it may be. But we see here when we're looking at this, our hearts should overflow with joy as we see how Christ loved His people and how we ought to really, even in, in, in response to that, love one another. The second thing we see is God the Father chose us. It, it, that's a very important picture for us. We're looking at really seeing the Trinity unfolded here, but it, we, we understand that He chose us. Now, there may be some debate about what, what does this mean? That we, he chose us as the first fruits. Is this talking about that the church there in Thessalonica, they're the first fruits of, of Paul's missionary uh, activity in that town? Maybe that's what it is. Some people would argue this. To read this, you must read it really. The idea of way, the way, the best way to interpret it would be we are chosen, he's saying, from the beginning. It's another way to kind of look at that text and read that. Some people translate it that way and would say, listen, he is speaking about eternity past. He chose us from the beginning. Regardless, we have to say that he chose us. There's something we are loved by Christ. God chose us. The Father chose us. That's something that should be something we thank God for. Notice the next thing here. And he says, the, the, the work of the Spirit is on display. How did this choice manifest itself in real time? He says that the Spirit worked in us. The Spirit is sanctifying us or has sanctified us. So we see by, through the Word, kind of the way you would say it. So we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work here. It's a Trinitarian thing where He's thanking the Trinity for what they have done within the context of this church, within the life of this church. It's something that He rejoices in. This reminds you of Ephesians 1 where he says he praises God, the Father for choosing, the Son for redeeming, and the Spirit for applying that redemption in our life. God is the architect of this plan. The Son accomplishes this plan. The Spirit applies that in our hearts and in our life. So it's something we thank, he thanks God for. Now, I just, it's just very important. I think we just stop there just for a moment about the Spirit's work. I think you just kind of see... He opens our eyes to love and cherish the truth about God. When we say, how do we grow in faithfulness to God or in our knowledge of God? The Word of God comes to us. The Spirit brings it to life. That's one of the things I think we see. So he's praising God for what he has done. Now notice what else. So really the central thought there is that he's chosen us. But then as you move forward, he has called us. You keep moving in this text and you'll note that that he called us. And I want you to go back and look at that real quick. It says in verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He called us. What does it mean to be called here? He summons us. He, he if you were to say in eternity past, God chose us, 
then you would say in real time he calls us. He says, I'm going to bring these people into relationship with me. And at a point in time, I will call them at my appointed time. I will bring to the realities of what I have chosen to do with them to fruition right now. I've called them. And so he calls us, and, and it's, it's interesting, through the proclamation of the gospel. So here's kind of how it works. You're sitting in church here or somewhere, and you, maybe you have this story about your life where you maybe heard the gospel over and over and over again. And, and, and for them, though, they heard it this first time and they believed. But maybe you heard it as a child, and all of a sudden, one day it made sense. One day, you who were dead in your sins, blinded to spiritual things, the gospel came and it came alive. And for the first time, you understood and you heard that call and it was effective in your life. It brought you to spiritual life. Paul is speaking, I think, to the past and the present. And he's saying, listen, you're secure because in eternity past, God chose you. And in the present, he brought that to fruition and you believed. The gospel message came and it became real and living and alive in you. Don't you remember that? And that's what he's kind of pointing back. And I think we have to do that a lot. We have to say, what keeps me stable? What keeps me staying the course? It is not what I've done for God. It's what he's done for me. That's what puts me on solid ground. God has said, I'm going to save a people for myself. And I did it. And you remember it. And you look back to that. And it holds you in the midst of this present age. We should be thanking God for one another in this room that God brought us to know Him. That should be something that we should rehearse to one another. That He's got us. He's keeping us. He saved us. He called us. Not only that, you see in this text, he points them to the future. You see that, man? Go back and look at that. When you notice in this text, it says, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has dealt with the past. In the past, he brought. He said, I'm going to save them. In the present, he, he brings them to the knowledge. And in the future, he's going to. We see all of that here. So from eternity past to eternity future, God has his people. That gives them stability. I mean, that should give us great stability. Great confidence, great hope in the midst of whatever may, we may face in this life. So you might ask yourself, do these wonderful truths fill your hearts with joy and thanksgiving? Do they impact the way you live in the present, even when the winds of adversity seem to be so great? Verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Paul says that we are to stand firm in the traditions that they've been taught. These traditions give them, again, the anchor. They are the foundation that they stand upon. When the storms come, one of the guys in the discussion group talked about earlier, they're not on sand. They are on a strong foundation foundation 
These traditions are what, that really, it's the idea that these, these traditions, we need to get a grip on those because they're there for us. They hold us, uh, hold us steadfast and keep us. I don't know if you've ever been um, hiking in, in a national park, but if you have, like, uh, and I'm sure they do it in different places or whatever, you can get these maps that will show you, like, how long the, the trail is and then how, like, what's the difficulty, like, of the trail. So you might say, I'm kind of soft. I want that, like, that easy trail, you know, like the, when you snow ski and you want the, the bunny trail or whatever. You know, you want something light, you know. And then, but when you're looking at all that, you see that there are certain things that, that as it becomes more difficult, not only is it going to be exhausting, but it's going to be more dangerous, and so you have to like, when you're on a trail that's, it, that is more extreme, every step you have to be careful about the steps that you take. I think we have to look at this and say, the Lord is saying, listen, you're going to go through difficult places. You're going to walk difficult roads, but you have a foundation. I'm going to be the one who's going to secure you. All around you looks like, hey, I could die from this. And God is saying, in the midst of that, I'm holding you. You take the steps by faith. You trust me. I'm going to be there. I will be your foundation. Now, when you think about traditions, sometimes for us, that's kind of like, oh, traditions are like, maybe like they're not things that, uh, maybe some people say, I really hate traditions in general. Some people, like, when they get married, they fight over the traditions that their parents had. So, you know, like, well, my parents always, like, wrap the gifts, and they put them under the tree, and we set out, you know, and they talk about Christmas or whatever. Or in our family, what we did at Thanksgiving was da-da-da-da-da. You, you, we have all these traditions, and sometimes, like I said, some people are, like, really dig traditions. Some people say they don't, but in actuality, they just are, like, traditional about the things that they're, like, not supposedly traditional about, so they kind of have their way. And churches do that. I mean, we can do all that kind of stuff and be like, our church does it this way. It's the way we've always done it. And so there's like big fights. And young people are like, we're really hip and cool. We want to change that. And old people would be, might, might say, we've always done it this way. Be quiet. Shut your mouth. You know, and so there's a big fight that kind of ensues from that. But the thing is, is those kind of traditions are kind of man-made traditions. And we have to be careful. The Pharisees had those. In Matthew 15, 2 and 3, it says, Why do your disciples, they said to Jesus, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For do they do not wash their hands when they eat? He answered and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You see, they had exalted their traditions above God's word. This passage, though, is the traditions are the teaching of, of the word. When he speaks of these traditions, they're not man-made traditions. They're the very word of God. So we always have to see that and understand that when Paul wrote to them in pen, like here, we are saying this is the word of God. It is absolute truth. When he said it and spoke it, it is inerrant. It's infallible. We have to obey it. We have to respond rightly to it. And so he's saying, you hold on to those things. When I preach up here, the only thing I'm really supposed to do is talk about the traditions of the apostles and the prophets that's been handed down. I'm saying, I'm going back to the word and saying, hey, let me help you understand this a little bit better. 
not making up some new revelation, some crazy thing that I just come up with during the week. I'm just saying I want to expound upon what the tradition that's been handed down to us, which is the Word of God. So Paul told them that they were chosen and called, and these two truths give them a solid foundation, something that they can firmly stand on. So let's go to verse 16. Many times, um, and I, I'm guilty of this for sure, I, and, and it's really easy to do this, to tell the truth, explain it, teach it, set in discussions, talk about it some more, but not necessarily pray for the truths to become real in our lives. Y'all ever struggle with that? Where you say, man, I could teach or study my Bible or talk about theology. I'm really good at talk, talk, talk. But I don't really pray that these things would be firmed up in our hearts and lives. See, the Apostle Paul does that a lot. Like he'll write in his letter some amazing truths that they can stand firm upon. And then he'll pray that those truths will become real in their lives. Something we need to, if you say, I'm going to teach my children, I want to teach my children, I want to teach my children. And then, but when you're teaching those things, are you stopping and saying throughout the day, God, make those real in their life. Make those come to fruition in their life. Somehow within God's plan that we don't fully understand all that's going on in that. But as we teach and pray, it's a means that he uses to bring about the transformation of our lives. We do not need to miss that. So he says we need to be, in verse 16 and 17, may our God, and no, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. See, he's saying may God do that. May he work that in you. Our salvation is a gift. Now maybe you be comforted by those truths. May He establish those in your heart. To be established like in a business, we say, so-and-so is getting established in his practice, or he's getting established in his business, or they are establishing a family. They're setting it up. He's saying, may that be rooted and grounded in your heart and set up firmly. May that foundation be poured and set right. May the structure be built. All those things, may it be there. May it, may it be rooted in you. May, may it never get, never, you never get away from it. May you run back to it over and over. May you be comforted by those truths. When the winds of adversity hit and the struggles come, may you be found as one who stands firm on these things. Keep going. I'm, I've been thinking about the, I don't know why, the, hiking or outdoor stuff i'm not sure maybe the little patagonia they ever had those patagonia magazines and i'm like oh those are the coolest things they'll have these photos of people that will do like insane stuff like extreme extreme climbing stuff that's like frightening i mean stuff like you're not supposed to do that like you're supposed to look stand on the ground and look up and say isn't that mountain amazing you're not to go up it, you know, like that's insane. 
So the people that do that are not only a little insane, but they're also people that trust the equipment. They just do. They think that rope's going to hold them. And so they barrel up a mountain. It's crazy. But see, for the Christian, when they're it, like pursuing like things that would glorify God and doing that with such a, a fervor and, and a, a, a fearlessness, what makes somebody do that? What makes somebody like throw aside any wisdom and pursue God with reckless abandonment? What makes somebody do something so crazy? It's the foundation. They are secure. They believe that God has them. They believe that more than them holding on to God, He's holding on to them. They believe that God is keeping them and sustaining them. That's what He's saying. I pray that you would grasp that. That you would believe that. That you would hold on to that. There's so much more. We have more stability than anyone on the planet. We have God keeping us. He is our foundation. Now that leads to chapter 3. The church has a responsibility to spread the word and obey the word. Notice here in verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul longs to see the gospel spread. Paul lives to see the gospel spread. He wants it to go forward in force. May it speed ahead. It means like when Paul thinks about uh, his life and what he's longing for, he wants to see it take off. He wants to see the gospel moving fast across the countryside. He wants to see it racing. He wants to see, that's what he says, I want you to pray for us that as we go, that it would go with speed. Sometimes people say, Godspeed to you. What are they saying? May it move forward. What you're doing, what your ambitions are, may you accomplish those. May that happen quickly. That's what Paul's saying. May this stuff, when we move forward into places, may it move with rapidity. May that happen so that when we go to a place, they hear the gospel, and then they go and take it out. And it's just moving across the countryside again to, to spread throughout the world. May it never slow down. May we see the churches built. May we see churches established. May we see churches advance. May we see gospel endeavors throughout the world. May we see every tongue, tribe, and nation hearing this message. Are, are we praying like that? May it be speeding ahead and be honored. May no one stand in the way of it. May God stop wicked people from trying to keep it from advancing. May they never, ever, ever get in the way. 
Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For we know, brothers, loved by God, in verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we have no need to say anything. What is he saying? He's saying, when the gospel came to you, you received it and you carried it out. You took it out. It just, it flowed out of you. It flowed from you. You remember last week we saw that the Antichrist would come. And that the mystery of lawlessness was already at work. This means that the spirit of Antichrist is at work trying to hinder the truth. And God is saying, I mean Paul is saying, may God pray that God would advance the gospel and pray that no one would hinder it. Again, do you pray like this? Are you praying for one another? Are you praying regularly, God, use those within this body to advance the gospel everywhere they go? Not advance their own mission, their own desires, their own dreams and ambitions. May their ambitions be to see the gospel spread. Are we praying that way? Do you pray for missionaries that we support and people that you know around the globe that they would not they would be the gospel would advance and no one would hinder it? Are you begging God for that? Do you believe that 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 the means that God uses to accomplish the evangelization of the world are are believers praying? That that's one of the means. Certainly people sharing that. But, but what's, what's working alongside that are people praying for that to take place. It's the means, one of the means that God uses to, for the gospel to go forward are people out there doing it and people praying that it would go forth quickly and powerfully. Verses 3 through 5. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And to the steadfastness of Christ. He says that the Lord is faithful. He will establish us. I remember when we started this church, there was, there was that big struggle. And people, even in this room now, that would come, that came alongside me and said, God is faithful. He will be with us. And I was like, I just, I, I don't know about this. This is crazy. Why would we do this? Is it possible? And it's just constant recurring and reassurance. God is faithful. He will be with us. He will establish us. He will keep us. It says He will establish and guard us. It's very important we understand that, that He is guarding them from what? Notice what we see. 
Guard you against the evil one. God is going, it's, it's, if you'll follow him in obedience, he's not going to abandon you. And even in our lives, as we look around and think, well, if I really trust God in this, I really do this the way I feel like the scripture would say, it, it may not work out very well. I've got to somehow like turn my head away from that for just a little bit, because if I'm truly faithful to obey God and follow him, it might not be enough. I've got to find a shortcut saying, don't do that. You trust God. Now, what is the vision? What is the vision that will fuel the passion to trust and obey God? Notice what he says. He he points them very clearly to the Lord again. He prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Again, may you be grounded. May you stand firm in that. May you know God's love for you. May you understand that, grapple with that, think on that, trust in that, hope in that. May you hold fast to verses like Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or Romans 5, 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Hold on to that. God is with you. He's going to keep you. He's watching over you. He loves you. We're, we're steadfast in Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, we conclude this study today. We're to stand firm on the foundation of God's Word. God chose us, and He called us, and He will guard us and keep us. We must hold fast to those truths as we go out into the world. That's the reality. And when we're going out in the world, we're seeking to live a godly life in a way that would be obedient to Him, and we're seeking to see others come to faith. We should have a vision and and, and a goal of seeing God do something. Do something very powerful. Do something like rescue people from the darkness of this age. Turn people's hearts to obey God and, and serve Christ and love Him and receive His salvation. We should long to see that. We should strive after that. There are countless people in this world in bondage, and we as the church are are called upon to say, God is with us, God has chosen us, God has called us, God will keep us, we are secure in Him, and so we are going to do the work of God in this world of reaching out to those in darkness, trusting that He will bring people to faith, that He will protect us in it, and we're to say we want to live a godly life, so we model that in every way possible. That should be the desire of this church. We should want to be a stable church who's foolish, who who lives a foolish life of saying, I will give everything in service to Christ and advancing His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can be secure in the mission You've called us to. That You will watch over us as we strive with all our might to do Your will that you're with us, that you're keeping us, that you're protecting us. And that we should never back away from seeking to see people come to faith 
to see those who are chosen and those who will be called by the work of your people through prayer and sharing. We ask you to move mightily in our midst. Cause us to be a faithful people. Lord, we know we're waiting the day when we will be glorified. We long for that day, Lord, but while we're here, may you use us in mighty ways for your kingdom and glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.